All right, welcome back. We're back and welcome to it. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and sitting on the, uh, the Rebel Alliance media network as well. This is the show where we interact with the ideas and the movements and the things... What's the fancy word for things? The entities, the ideas and movements and entities that have made our world what it is and how we should think about those things as Christians. It's been a little while since our last episode. Uh, that's not because we've been idle, but uh, rather because we've been... Uh, We've been neck deep in our summer programming, and that has been such a blast. Uh, we've had uh, we've just wrapped up the the very first Runner Academy for Cultural Leadership, uh, which was an absolute wonderful time. We were blessed with uh, with a, a truly international collection of uh, of delegates, of faculty members, and just had a great time. The lectures from that should be up online soon on the Ezra Institute website. And you can, uh, you'll be able to uh, to get a taste of uh, of what that that program was like. So I mentioned that we had an international faculty. We have an international group of fellows here at the institute, and I took the opportunity to sit down with some of them over the Runner Academy and get to get to learn more about uh, their area of work, their research, their uh, their own personal stories and the work that they're involved with as we talk about the cultural mandate and about the call to, to develop and transform culture to the glory of God, which is really what, uh, what we're all called to do. So on the podcast today, we've got Jonathan Burnside. Dr. Burnside is the Fellow for Biblical Law here at the Ezra Institute. And we, I sit down and I talk with Jonathan about the nature and the purpose of biblical law, about the legitimacy and the... Uh, the source and locus of authority for any law. Um, we get into into Jesus, Jesus' interaction with and treatment of the law, and Jesus himself as the fulfillment and embodiment of Torah and of wisdom, and uh, and about the need for Christians to be engaged in the area of law uh, from a distinctly Christian perspective. So all that's coming up. I hope you enjoy it. And here we are as a return to our regularly scheduled programming. Dr. Burnside, uh, welcome to the program and welcome, welcome to Canada. My it's, pleasure. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure to have you here with us over this, uh, this Runner Academy. And your, your specialty has been on the, um, is it fair to say the intersection or the relationship between... Um, the law of God and uh, civil society. Uh, yes, uh, yes, um, uh, and 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 I think it it's at, actually at a number uh, of uh, intersections um, because uh, biblical law speaks to the whole of life, um, and uh, and I think I think in many ways I started out you see as a lawyer, and I never wanted to practice. Um, but I, I quickly realized that law as a subject, um, as a discipline, sort of stood at the intersection of all the really interesting questions in life uh, about, um, you know, why do we feel that we ought to do anything, that sort of mystery of our sense of obligation. Um, how do we structure our society? Uh, what um, values um, should society have? What, you know, what are our goals and, and what role does law play? 
in making society become something in the future, um, which it's decided in the past its future should be, all of that sort of thing. Um, and uh, and then I um, and then when I became a Christian uh, after university, I um, suddenly thought, oh, isn't it amazing? Um, you know, there's there's going to be um, you know, we've got to look hard how the Bible relates to all of these mm -hmm. big questions. Wow, my head's about to explode. <laughs> and, um, and I remember going into the library, university library, and walking around, and there really wasn't anything. Hmm. The, you, know, the, you know, I just kind of thought, you know, there's nothing really here to help me to put all of this together. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so then, and so really all the intersections have all kind of multiplied because you're bringing theology into it as well, um, and um, so I think so. I think putting together, as you've said, biblical law and civil society is just an extraordinary, fruitful way of engaging with all the really interesting questions in life. And 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 what we find is that um, human beings have always engaged with those questions, um, and with the impact of the gospel and Christianity on different nations and peoples at different times, um, you know, that uh, debate has just sort of deepened and expanded in all directions. So, um, as you can imagine, we've had a lot to talk about uh, at uh, Runner uh, this um, past, past week or so, and um, I just love, I mean, it's great to be over because, uh, you know, each of us only has sort of one bit of the elephant, you know, like, right. it's like the blind man right. finding, yeah. a way, finding a way around the, around the elephant. And uh, we, we, we need each other uh, to um, sort of get a greater sense of the whole. And, and, and we need for Christians just as, as a whole, you know, within the body to um, just become more confident at finding a way around all of these questions. So it just seems less alien to us. You uh, you mentioned something there about your own conversion that I just lo yes. love to uh, to hear more about uh, because I was also converted um, as a uh, as a younger man. I wasn't I wasn't studying law, but it it sounded like your response on on conversion was okay. I'm I'm in law. The Bible has law. Mm -hmm. I had better figure this out. Well, that, yes, that's it was not, a uh, it was that's a not most that. people's response. I, <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Well, well, I, I suppose I suppose it came. Uh, I suppose the reason why I asked that question, uh, put it in that way, was because you, you know how when you get converted, um, uh, it, it, well, well, Jesus hit like an atom bomb. Frankly, I mean, I mean, I remember when I was converted, it was under. Uh, uh, a leading evangelist, J. John, whose son is actually with mm -hmm. us at um, Runner Academy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Joe Boot worked with J. John and Joe, early yes, on. Yes, Joe was um, uh, 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 was was mentored by by J. John. So, right. so this guy has a lot to answer for um, in, in God's economy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it kind of makes you realize what a small world, you know. Christian, anyway, um, and. Uh, and I remember when J. John was preaching, uh, and I just had this had this picture of the um, uh, the ruins of the Japanese cities after the second, you know, in, mm. you know Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Which yep. is a really weird image to have when somebody's preaching, but I think it, it, it was kind of like everything had gone back to zero, I and mean, my life had to start all over again from Raised the ground. Raised to up. the ground. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what it felt like. 
And, and so in that context, you kind of feel, oh, I'm at university, but should I be at university? I'm studying law, should I be studying law? I mean, it's kind of like all bets are off from this point on, anything could happen. Um, but I did remember reading um, round about that time uh, about Paul saying, you know, remain where you are, remain where you were, you know, like. Uh, and so I thought, well, God knew I was going to get converted. Uh, and so I better figure out what it is I have to learn in this place where I am before I just throw it all up in the air. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very glad I didn't because <laughs> I'm still saying in the law and academic law 30 years later. Um, so that was part of the figuring out. It, it's kind of like, um, uh, there must be a reason why it happened at that point in my life. And I, I think that I was just starting to put it together. I'm still trying to put it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being a run, and yeah. being a runner helps me to do that. Oh, I'm glad. Well, we, we aim to serve. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do. Uh, so maybe you can, uh, for for those of us who haven't had the those those listening who haven't had the chance to uh, to be at runner or uh, not introduced to you before, can you uh, can you zoom out a little bit and just give us a a big picture view of the the nature and purpose of biblical law? Well, I think um, I can't do any better than the psalmist, can I? Um, uh, David, King David, in Psalm nineteen says that Torah uh, makes wise the simple. So I think that is the ultimate nature and purpose of biblical law. Um, it's to make us wise. Uh, and Jesus is the fulfillment of Torah. And he is all wisdom. And uh, we are to pray uh, to receive wisdom. So I think that's what it's all about. But the thing is, I don't think people would naturally think uh, that law is about wisdom. Yeah. Um, they would want to see it all in terms of being sort of rules, but boring. Um, you know, uh, literal application of wooden rules, this kind of thing. And uh, that's not the Bible's understanding of it. And I think what's happening there is that we project modern ideas about law, which have come in over the past couple of hundred years, where law is, is the identifier, it's commands of a sovereign backed by threat. You've got a state, uh, a sort of legislative, um, you know, uh, point. Uh, which issues commands, which are arbitrary. I mean, they can be anything. Mm -hmm. What makes them valid is, is, is the source from which they, they come and, uh, and the legitimacy of that power. And, and these ideas get projected back onto the Bible. Um, so when we talk about the authority of biblical law, that all seems a bit arbitrary. It all seems very controlling. It's all very top-down and mm -hmm. coercive. And, and, and accordingly, when we think about the application of biblical law in the public square, people assume that that's what we're doing. We're being coercive, we're being manipulative, and all of that, but but th these are all um, modern ideas about law, which we project back onto the biblical right. text. The biblical texts themselves uh, are talking about something quite different. Uh, it's in the context of freedom uh, that uh, God has brought Israel out of Egypt. Um, she set them free, and uh, she wants to keep Israel in the freedom that God has won for her. Uh, and uh, so the laws are good, as Paul says, they are holy and just and good. Um, and uh, they are to um, educate and remind Israel about God's character, his justice and his um, mercy and his kindness and his generosity. 
and uh, they've experienced all that in the Exodus. Now to behave like that to slaves and asylum seekers and each other and all, all of that and not practice enmity and do justice and all of that kind of thing. It's all very positive, it's all very life affirming and that's what wisdom is because wisdom ultimately is uh, the ability to live life well and the ability to live life to the full and who does that remind us of? It reminds us of Jesus. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it to the full. Um, so I think these, the, so, so in terms of a big picture, um, I don't know whether that's a big enough yeah. picture for you, uh, but, but I, I think that that's a, a, a way of thinking about it. Right. No, that's, uh, that's helpful. Um, so one, one, of the things that, uh, one of the things that you've advocated um, over the course of, uh, of your time here and uh, I think elsewhere is that, just as you said, like to start, uh, start with the psalmist and uh, understand it in its, uh, in its original um, Hebrew context, uh, you've, uh, you've spoken of the, the need for a, a Jewish understanding of, uh, or a Jewish reading of the law. Um, is that, uh, <laughs> am, I, well, am I oversimplifying um, that? Uh, is, is there a better way to say that? I know what you mean. Well, well, I, I suppose when you say Jewish, I'm just kind of thinking of the sort of whole history of tradition of Jewish readings of the law, which would, of course, include a lot of rabbinic readings and modern readings, uh, which um, one would not necessarily, um, you know, want to read all the way back um, in, in, into biblical law. Um, so I, I suppose I say biblical, um, but recognizing that biblical is Jewish. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. I, I think. I think. You know. But 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 of course. You know. Christians don't quite get that, do they? Um, they don't get that it's the Hebrew Bible. You know, the Old right. Testament is the Hebrew Bible, uh, and that ultimately the entire Bible um, is a Jewish worldview. You know. I mean, it, when the gospel gets preached to the whole world. The world is divided into two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. If you're a Jew, you die to the law. Um, and if you're a Gentile, you have to give up your paganism uh, and become a new creation. But, but so, so if you're a Jew, you're, still, you know, you're part of a Jewish worldview, you know you're already born into that. And if you're a Gentile, you get converted into a Jewish worldview. At the end of the day, there only is, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole biblical story of uh, creational um, monotheism of a God uh, who is separate from his creation, right. who is working in and through his creation to bring about restoration, redemption. Creational and covenantal monotheism is, is a Jewish worldview or a Judeo-Christian uh, worldview. Um, and um, uh, so, yes, so we have to connect with that because that's the shape of it, that's the story. Um, and if we're Gentiles, we get converted to that story. We get converted to that way of, of, of looking at things. Um, but, but having said that, there are all sorts of, um, uh, there are all sorts of values um, um, and, and sort of ways of reading scripture um, you know, which you do find um, that Jewish communities and Jewish tradition have been, you know, particularly good at holding on to and which we have to learn from, um, which is sort of reading the text very carefully, 
attention to context um, and, um, and study, and study in community, and in, uh, um, and so uh, there's a um, there's a subtlety there, and there's a creativity there, um, which um, we sometimes lack, and you know need to recapture. One of the, uh, and one, one of the reasons that uh, you speak of, of recapturing or rediscovering is obviously because we have lost our way in, in some, of these, uh, some of these points. We've, in, in our law society, in our, our laws and society today, I guess is a better way to yes, say it. Yes, because we, li we live in a sort of a split level world, don't we? Uh, where, um, you know, uh, politics and faith um, don't have anything to do with each other. Uh, churches are re retreated from culture, it's retreated from politics into quietism and pietism. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, how is this working? I mean, when you see any kind of dysfunctional behavior, the question to ask is always, and how is this working for you? Right. <laughs> you know, because there's usually a reason why they're doing it. Um, and uh, similarly, the, this, this arrangement, this way of looking at the world um, is dysfunctional. It's producing dysfunctional effects. How is this working for both parties? Well, it's working for the church very well um, because it just gets the church off the hook of, of having to um, engage deeply and painfully um, with potential areas of conflict. And it suits the state terribly well because nobody's providing any accountability. There's no truth being spoken to power. Mm -hmm. So it works very well on both sides. Um, but um, that's not, um, you know, but, but where is the on earth as it is in heaven? Right, right, you know, for sure. How, uh, how has biblical law been applied historically um, in the West? You, sp you spoke um, about uh, Alfred the Great and his, uh, the origins of English civil law and the, uh, the foundation of that in biblical law. Well, I suppose to take it right back, um, the way in which biblical law has sort of affected society um, starts really just immediately following the Exodus. Um, so in the Song of the Sea, um, which I think is in about Exodus 15 or something, we have this, um, the psalm is saying, and the Lord will reign forever and ever, uh, following because God has overthrown Pharaoh and he's going to overthrow all the kings of, of Canaan. Um, in other words, what that song is saying is the current political system is over. Yep. There's now a new way of doing politics and this takes a form of Torah. So, um, so against all of these people who say, oh, well, you know, it's not meant to apply. It's always meant to apply. Um, it's always meant to provide a challenge uh, to tyranny, um, tyrannies uh, in, in different forms, um, starting with Egypt and starting with um, the uh, kings of the land of Canaan. And, and actually, um, biblical law has um, played that role uh, historically. So, um, uh, I mean, I can speak best about my own uh, uh, country in the UK setting. Sure. Uh, and uh, you mentioned King Alfred, and uh, I, I mentioned Alfred because he's probably about the earliest um, early medieval king that we have, for whom we have such great historical records. But what Alfred did um, was he, uh, you know, put together uh, a blend, uh, sort of a synthesis uh, of biblical laws 
uh, not just the Decalogue, but also from the Covenant Code in Exodus and Anglo-Saxon law, uh, and basically made a covenant um, before God and the people, the Anglesin, uh, which basically is the English, and that's about one of the first uses of the word. Um, and uh, he just forges this connection, it's extraordinary, between his kingdom of Wessex, which didn't really exist before then, and Jerusalem. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so, so people, you know, great politicians, great cultural leaders, you know, have always recognized that in biblical law, you have a commitment to human freedom, a commitment to human dignity uh, and flourishing, um, that really hasn't been surpassed. Um, and, the, you know, and the sort of concerns that you find in biblical law, bulwarks against tyranny, so, um, you know, providing sort of like a kind of early kind of separation of powers and uh, lots of checks and balances and controls. Um, I mean, that doesn't really start to get embodied until around about the time of the American Revolution, um, you know, when uh, people, you know, the framers of the American Constitution were looking towards books like Deuteronomy to say, well, you know, this is the best source we can find. This is the best antecedent we can find um, for, uh, you know, a constitution which is going to guard against tyranny. Um, it's quite common for people, modern political philosophers, to say, uh, um, you know, like, oh, um, you know, to, to say, oh, well, you know, uh, independent judiciary, and all this kind of thing, and separation of powers, you know, that only really comes in with the Enlightenment. No, it doesn't. It was there in Deuteronomy, yeah. about two and yeah. a half thousand years earlier. And people just have this kind of very dismissive attitude towards Scripture. They say, oh, well, it's revelation. So you can't have anything to say about philosophy or political philosophy. But that's not how it's been used. Um, and so you've got people like King Alfred, and then you have, in every era, every generation, every century, you have people writing about you know what the Bible says about checking the powers of the king or like Magna Carta, uh, all of that, um, and then you get on through into the European period, you know Europeans and um, the Reformation. I'm, I'm sure I don't have to say anything to your listeners about the Reformation, um, you know. But there's a, there's just sustained cultural engagement, and even um, the people who come later, um, you know, the Rousseaus, um, you know, and Bentham's and you know, all of those political philosophers, you know, they, they, they still uh, have to uh, work within. I mean, I mean, they know the Bible very well. They write about yeah. it in their, yeah. plos their philosophy because, you know, they feel they have to sort of tear it down in order to create, you know, their own uh, utopian vision. But the point is, they still can't get away from it. They still have to engage with it. I mean, it's like the, you know, the uh, anecdote about the little girl uh, who has to sit in her daddy's lap in order to slap him in the face. Yeah. She, I mean, she has yeah. to sit in the lap in order to do that. And, and there is no, ultimately, there is no escaping. Um, Psalm 19, you know, the sun, none can escape its, its heat. Yeah. Um, you know, if you believe that um, there is this deep connection um, between biblical law, between Torah, and just the way the world is, there, 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 there is no escaping from it. Um, and, but, I, but I don't want to put that negatively. Um, I want to say it's not something one, you, know, you can't escape from. It's something that we should positively embrace uh, because um, the good that we take for granted uh, in uh, Western liberal democracies um, can be traced back uh, to um, the Bible and biblical law. And you know, I would just say how broken 
is our civilization, is our Western civilization, if we can't look back over several thousand years and see how the Bible and biblical law have influenced it down to its deep roots. So, so something that you, uh, you hear often uh, from a lot of Christians and from people who have a, any, any passing familiarity with, uh, with the Bible and with, with the Gospels is uh, Jesus' statements that, uh, that he has come to fulfill the law. And a lot of uh, some like that takes that takes different uh, different interpretations. Uh, but uh, can you just lay out what uh, what's meant by that? The fulfilling of Torah. I think that when we look at uh, normativity in in the Bible, um, you know how human beings are expected to live. What does it mean to live live well? Um, we see there's a lot of continuities, um, and so we find that there's a lot of continuities between how people, the standard, uh, the people expect to be in the, the primeval period, in Genesis, and so on, even though they didn't have Torah. But when Torah comes, it's a gift because there is increasing specificity. Um, and, and so the sense is sort of a, a little bit, um, uh, you know, that, that it's here again, but in much more detail. And, that, and, that, and that's the gift. Um, it's not at all just with what's gone on before, um, but you, you know more and you know it better and with greater clarity. And in a way, isn't that really what happens uh, when we think about uh, in the Incarnation? Um, uh, that, um, you know, Israel is meant to embody Torah and the nations are meant to see that in, in Deuteronomy 4. And of course they do it very imperfectly, actually so imperfectly they go into exile. Um, um, uh, and, uh, but when Jesus comes, uh, we see it in all its specificity because it's truly incarnational. Um, you know, everything that Jesus does just is the fulfillment of Torah. Um, and... Uh, and, and it can't be more specific or more incarnational than that. And so when Jesus came, he, he comes, um, you know, in the full assurance of the Father's love. Um, and uh, he's able to bring life and restoration and recreation wherever he goes. And, you know, this is a fulfillment, isn't it? Um, of all of the Psalms that talk about, you know, being a tree of, you know, being a tree of life and, you know, planted by streams of living water. And, you know, all of these Torah images um, and of course, ultimately, the life that Torah promises is Jesus' own resurrection life. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that as we, you, uh, I mean, I, 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 again, it comes back to the question, what is the point? You know, what is the point of the Bible? The point of the Bible is the witness to Jesus. And, you know, we're talking about somebody whose life is so cosmically and eternally significant that we need all of the language and categories of scripture in order to understand who he is, and that includes Torah. So, you know, when we're, when we're reading through all of these affirming, positive, life-giving, um, uh, renewing qualities of Torah, and we see that in Jesus's life, um, birth, uh, life, and uh, death, and resurrection, and ascension, and rule, um, then all of these things help us understand to who Jesus is, uh, 
namely that, among other things, he is the fulfillment of that. And so if we are in him, if we are in Messiah, um, then these things must be true of us as well. And so that's where you get the ethical continuity uh, with the Torah. So it, um, we can't split it off and just sort of ignore it. Um, it's, it's part of, well, because it describes, speaks, prophesizes about Jesus and points forward to him, uh, we need that to understand <clears throat> both who he is, but also the sort of people that we're meant to be as well. Uh, going along with that, you alluded to it uh, a little earlier, but uh, if our prayer is that uh, our Father's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, uh, in other words, uh, in perfect accordance with, uh, with that will, um, and, that, uh, and that will is revealed in his law, what, uh, let's, let's bring, the, bring this... Uh, down into the uh, into the weeds a little bit. Uh, what if if that's our goal is the uh, the obedience to to God's law and the applicability of it in in a you know a creative and uh, thoughtful relevant way, not as you said a wooden kind of way. But if if that's our goal, um, what do you and I do tomorrow if uh, if our long term goal is obedience to God's law in, in society broadly. Um, I like this phrase, in the reeds, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sat out here on, on the well, balcony. Well, well, We've got the grasses well, well, there rustling are reeds around. around. <laughs> I hear them rustling in, yeah. in, 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 in the background. Um, uh, well, I suppose one of the things I want to say is that um, because um, Torah is one... Okay, so, so, so there's a couple of things here. First of all, all, you know, the laws in Torah are given to people as individuals. I mean, the, the, the laws, commandments are given in the singular you. So there is an, an individual element to it. So you're not, so you're right to say, what does that mean, you know, for, for what I should do? Um, but it's also corporate as well. It's in, the, it's in the context of covenant and there is a public dimension to it. Um, so... Uh, so, so part of it is also it's about doing things with other people, um, and uh, you know when you're talking about the application of biblical law in civil society, you know, um, you know there may be some things that we're called to do prophetically. And of course, the prophets always spoke on the basis of law. Um, there are maybe some things that we do, you know, prophetically as individuals, but I think a lot of it is is things that we do in a coordinated. Um, in a coordinated kind of way, uh, which again is part of the purpose of being over and runner. I mean, it's, it's to try to create networks where people can do things together. Um, so, um, so I, I suppose a way of saying it is, is that I, I actually kind of, in terms of application, of biblical, I mean, it's kind of easier to, in some ways, to think about what that means in terms of that sort of public, public but, but you're right, it just starts with the individual. Um, uh, I think that um, it's, well, there are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. The things that we don't do is run around uh, and uh, start doing all of those sort of things which were laws which were designed to keep Israel separate from the nation. So we don't worry about whether our clothes are of mixed fibres, we don't circumcise our kids, 
um, and uh, for uh, religious reasons, uh, and uh, we don't um, observe dietary laws, okay? Um, because to do that is to deny the fact that Jesus came to make one family um, and one table fellowship, one olive tree, and no separation between Jew and Gentile. Um, right, but there, and there, there was a revealed abrogation of those kinds of laws in Acts 10. Is that, is that correct? Yes, yes, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, so uh, Peter has to understand that um, uh, Jesus has declared all foods clean um, and uh, things which were meant to be a barrier between Jew and Gentile um, uh, are no longer relevant because that is to undo Christ's work, which is to tear down that dividing wall of facility. Uh, between Jew and Gentile. So, Christ so Christians who, you know, are reflecting on the relevance of biblical or not go around building up that wall again, obviously. Um, and that would bring death, um, you know, uh, to the, um, to, you know, what Jesus has done. Um, uh, so, so, but nevertheless, there is an ethical continuity between the um, Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, which gets intensified in all sorts of ways around um, purity uh, and around prayer. Uh, and around, um, you know, showing mercy and forgiveness. I mean, and, and this is all caught up in Jesus's teachings. Um, but we just need to make the, we need to make the connections, um, and uh, we need to reckon with the fact that when we're talking about love for God and love for neighbour, um, that um, biblical law gives us clarity on what those things mean, where we're inclined just to go fuzzy on the use of the word, you know, love or justice or whatever. We, we think we can define what these terms mean, but we, we can't um, if we're Christians. Um, and uh, so, and it's interesting how people like the Apostle Paul just casually drop into the letter something like, you know, by, you know, the, the meaning of, um, uh, you know, the ox, you know, um, yes. you know treading yes. out of the grain and, uh, and what that means. Um, and, and there's just this assumption uh, that, this is something, it's, it's all part of God's word, it's something that we're all meant to be reflecting upon. Um, and, uh, um, and so one of the things that we do in the day-to-day -day is that we just read all of scripture. Um, you know, we don't just have favorite passages, but we're committed to making sense of all of it. And we're committed to making sense all of it um, in uh, the light of Jesus' teaching. And that's there in Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, whoever does them and teaches them. Um, who teaches them and does them. Um, so, so that's what we're, we're meant to do on our day-to-day. -day. We're meant to understand it uh, and uh, we're meant to, to do it um, uh, under Jesus' leading and direction. Wonderful. Um, so what, uh, let's, let's make this even more personal. Um, <laughs> What about uh, what about yourself? Uh, you've uh, you've had this has been your career. This has been your uh, your life's work to date. Your major work so far is uh, is the book from Oxford Oxford University Press, right? Called uh, God, Justice, and Society. Um, what uh, what inspires you to uh, to carry on in this field, or what uh, what are well, some of the major lessons like a game you learned, plan, Ryan? <laughs> Um, well, are you, are you like Indiana Jones, just making this up as you go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to kind of I want to kind of step back from that a little bit because 
like I say, whenever I became a Christian, I wanted to find out how um, Bible and um, law and all kind of fit together. Sure. And, and providentially, I was uh, studying in Cambridge at the time where there was a, a Christian think tank called the Jubilee Centre, uh, run by somebody who was my first boss, who then became, went on to be a mentor and a great friend, uh, Dr. Michael Schluter. And, uh, and so because I'd done law and then I did another degree in criminology, I got stuck into prison reform. Uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, and that meant, um, uh, you know, looking at what the Bible says about how to treat, how to punish with justice, with humanity and decency. The pun justice, punish, justice isn't just about punishing people, it's about putting things right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized I needed to do a PhD to make sure that I was handling, you know, the word of truth properly, um, or at least better. Um, and so I went off and I did that. Um, so I think it was, so, uh, so to say career, um, I mean, there wasn't really a point where he said, oh, we'll just wait till that goes over. There's a bomber going overhead. Huh? There's a bomber flying 200 feet overhead. <laughs> yeah, do you have an airbase or something nearby? There, yeah, there is. Okay, right. Sorry about that. I think that's gone over, uh, yeah. uh, back up, what did I say? What did I say? Yeah, so, so there was never really a game plan. Um, uh, it was just a case of trying to do the next thing uh, mm -hmm. that was going to um, uh, help me to do whatever it was I was doing better. Um, and then because I'd done the prison stuff, uh, we had faith-based um, programs starting up in prisons, faith-based communities in prisons, both in the UK and in the US. And I was appointed by the Home Office to uh, head an evaluation of those because it was very, it was controversial because um, there were all kind of lots of secularists um, uh, kicking off about it, uh, thinking um, saying that this was going to this was um, taking advantage of vulnerable prisoners and all mm -hmm. of the, all of this kind of thing. And uh, so I did that for a year in the context which I was also over in the states looking at um, some exceptional pioneering programs here. And I wrote all that up. So, so, so my life hasn't been um, sort of make a career out of biblical law. And I know you didn't mean make a sound of that, but sure, but but, but, yeah. but it was a it was a it was a, a process of moving between particular social problems um, in in the confidence that the Bible had something um, well had a lot um, that we needed to hear about. Um, and, and then when I got my job uh, teaching in a law school, um, well, it became more of the same, really, because I was teaching all of these law subjects. And then the question became, uh, well, how... So all of our law students who are doing criminal law and land law and all this sort of thing, constitutional law, well, what is the Bible? What's the Bible's perspective and all of that? And precisely because, as I was saying earlier on, I mean, the because the Bible itself has shaped um, what we, some, some of what we take for granted in uh, Western legal systems. You know, there's a very sort of fruitful kind of synergy there. Um, and, and then uh, it was only really about, um, I suppose, about six or seven years ago uh, that my uh, university decided as it were to make that official. Um, and so I do now do all of my, most of my research now specifically in in, in biblical law, um, and so now I'm sort of coming out of the other way. I'm, I'm doing doing the Bible stuff, um, but then I'm sort of coming out here 
and having conversations about how this interfaces with, with well, I think with, with students working on in all kinds of fields that I don't really know much about, and and I want to give them that confidence um, to move into those areas, um, uh, which I'm never going to move into, and um, so. Um, I feel I've, I've sort of drifted off a bit from your question. Um, I suppose the point I'm making is it's, it's um, I think really I'm just trying to get answers to questions that bother me. Um, and that's the, it's, it's, it's quite an intuitive sort of, sort of process. Um, so in answer to your question then, what what inspires me? Um, I don't think I'm inspired so much as troubled sometimes. Um, uh, if I didn't read things that upset me or see things that upset me, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be quite happy to, you know, just, you know, you know, Dig furrows around um, your your sort of lovely orchard, sure, and everything, and, and and live this kind of um, yeah. So what? So so yeah. So so I'm so I'm troubled, and that motivates me. But um, although I'm troubled, I believe that there are answers, um, and I think that um, uh, the Bible is the place that we should look, um, as we always have done historically for for answers. Um, does it sound corny to say that um, the Bible is a source of source of inspiration? Um, uh, it doesn't make it untrue. It doesn't make it, it <laughs> even if it is corny. It, look, <laughs> we have to. We must pay yet more attention to it, as as, as he, you know, as to a light shining in a dark place. We must pay yet more attention. And I just feel it as I go on. Um, I, I just feel that my ways of reading the Bible have just been too superficial. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that there's always more to, there's always more to, um, to discover. So I think maybe that's my, my, as, as I'm talking, I think that's the, di that, that's the dynamic. It's moving from the issues to the Bible and back again and being troubled and being inspired and going backwards and forwards. Wonderful. I think those were all the uh, all the things that we had prefabricated. Uh, <laughs> okay, are we done? That's not uh, to end on, not, is it? Not bad. <laughs> anything okay. Anything you want to add? No, no. I think I think I've said enough. <laughs> Terrific, Doctor Burnside. Thanks very much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.